Ever wonder what lies behind every thriving business? Well, in this show, that's what we explore. Throughout my experience, I have found that every entrepreneur's journey is a tale of dreams, sacrifice, and relentless adaptation to make those dreams come true. So let's jump right in on this episodic adventure into entrepreneurship, Small Business Chronicles. Hey everybody, uh, this is Ryan with Small Business Chronicles. We are back again. Uh, this is an episodic adventure in entrepreneurship of letting people know how they got where they got and, and the story of how they get there. Entrepreneurship is a different animal. Uh, it takes a lot of different adaptability skills to get uh, from a dream to a finished product business. And uh, that's what this show is all about, is hearing those stories. And today I have with me Richard Blank from the Costa Rican Call Center. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself, sir? What's up, everybody? Ryan, so happy to be on your show today. My name is Richard Blank. I'm the proud CEO of Costa Rica's Call Center. Uh, yeah, Richard, when, when we booked you as a guest and I started looking out, uh, one of the things that grabbed my attention was you said at the beginning of the millennium, you just moved to a different country and tried something new. Can so, so fill me in on that. Cause that I, I want to go back a little bit more, but I think that's the big hook of the story of, of how did you end up in Costa Rica with the call center? It all adds on momentum. So it really started when I was a little boy and I was very fortunate to come from a nice family that took vacations to Mexico. So besides just tanning and enjoying myself at fiestas, I came home with vocabulary and I did this at a very young age. So obviously I had interest in second languages. When I graduated the proud Abington High School in Northeast Philadelphia, a lot of my friends were going Ivy League. My grandfather went to Harvard Law, my pop went to Columbia Business, and my brother Washington and Lee University. I wasn't mature and I didn't have those grades, but I had a passion. So I doubled down on my favorite class, which was Spanish. It's a Spanish major at the University of Arizona, interned for Telemundo, worked for Corona Beer Postgrad. So when I was 27 years old in August of 2000, a very good friend of mine from college gave me a one in a million opportunity, wanted me to come to Costa Rica for just two months to work at his call center and teach English. Well, those two months turned into four years I learned the business from the inside out, not from sea level. And then in my mid thirties, I had enough capital, impulse control and maturity to actually throw my hat in the ring. So it was a long time coming, but it just really wasn't a spur of the moment. You know how they say when the barn door is open, the horse is not coming back. Listen, Ryan, I had to get past my parents' guilt and there was a lot of pressures in regards to career expectations. I decided to put all the money on me because I knew what I loved and where I could fly the furthest. And so when I got here, I was almost like a kid in a candy store. It, that, that's, that's true. Because when you say you put the money on you, that I found that's a common thread in entrepreneurs is that you're betting on yourself and, and you sound like you had some uh, different paths and directions you could have taken. And the thing that you wanted to bet on was you. Well, when you do enough dedicated practice, I think you're ready to fight Clubber Lang in Rocky three. And so the more that you give yourself positive reinforcements and you see yourself growing spiritually, cognitively, maybe even you might take better care of yourself because you're feeling better about yourself. So you start hitting the gym, having a better sleep pattern, eating better, treating the others around you better. They could see that you're growing and that you're shining. 
Because the worst thing ever, my friend, is to sell yourself short or sell your soul for a dollar because then you're just hating your days and you're in a box without walls and you wonder where the gift of life came from. I mean, we all were told that we should leave castles and slave dragons and save princesses. I wanted Correct. an adventure in life and I was willing to do it. And so, as I say, when you have that opportunity from time to time, you got to hold on tight and see where it takes you. Oh, absolutely. And that that's the thing about that I respect so much about journeys like yours is you, you do have to that that self-talk and that self-realization has to improve. You have to do better. You have to treat people better and you have to grow into where that that you need to be. Um so down in Costa Rica, uh yes. was there something special about Costa Rica that made you want to stay there instead of the work or was it a culture? Was it what what was it about Costa Rica that just sucked you in? My brother, I'm from Philadelphia. When you experience your first winter there where your leg gets wet from slush, uh, you want to go somewhere else. And when I walked off the plane, I mean, I'm in a tropical paradise. I met the girl of my dreams and married a Costa Rican girl. And I, I look at it like this. I'm a guest in this country. And the moment that you become an unwanted guest or you overextended your stay, it's time to go. And I was thinking that this wasn't going to last this long. It was just a dream. And I was in a honeymoon stage and it was a wonderful experience in my late 20s. And to be honest with you, I didn't want it to end. So I was going to fight for it. So when I worked at my friend's center, it really wasn't the money. It's the fact that I was able to learn something new. But I tell you what, when you see someone that's bilingual, it bears the mark of higher education. And I was in an environment amongst thousands of the average age 24-year-olds. It was very young. It was like college. And everyone was on the phone and having fun. And this was in 2000, so not everyone was on their phones. And mm -hmm. it was, I think, the last chapter of that old school stage where people were bonding. And I guess it was an excellent bridge for me to be able to integrate myself into Costa Rica in a very nice way. It wasn't jagged. I wasn't pushed into this. There was a lot of, you know, cushion and comforting. And so my checkpoints were very easy for me along the way. But I tell you what, there's nothing wrong with moving abroad because it shows depth and essence. The things that you hold to such high esteem wherever you're from or what they consider important might not have any value somewhere else. So the question is, are you a one-trick pony? Are you able to expand? Can you relate? And so these are the sort of things you can tap into just to really see the sort of person that you are. Oh, of course. I, I've, I, I took an extended trip to Mexico and Puerto Rico, both in my lifetime. Uh, Puerto Rico is probably where I'm going to retire. I'm not going to lie. Cool. I love it there. Um, so yeah, when you go to a different culture and you go to a different set of rules, because as Americans, we, we kind of think here's the rules for everybody else. But as soon as you get to a culture, you see what poverty really is, or you see what struggle is that maybe we don't see on this side and to go into that culture and to help and to be a part of that culture and to be an entrepreneur there. How many employees do you guys have at the call center? Well, post COVID we're at 150 right now. We took a little bit of at 150 and we had to, make I, I think everybody well. did. Of course. 
But instead yeah. of being on site, now it's virtual. I was capable mm -hmm. of surviving during this time. I'm very fortunate, but it also eliminated the sort of synergy that we had. So it's virtual yes. now. It's like working out at home compared to the gym. There is advantages mm -hmm. to it, but some major disadvantages. But, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, it's a very skilled labor force. Amazon, HP, Intel, Oracle is here. So people are walking in with certain skill sets. I'm hoping they don't walk in with bad habits. And sometimes I prefer someone that's bilingual and has the vigor, but just doesn't have the experience so I can mold them like a squire to a knight. So I've onboarded and molded so many amazing telemarketers that just didn't start off with bad habits. And so, um, you know, learning the rules here, the number one rule I have is patience because it seems like there's long lines. They're not staffed accordingly. There might be potholes. There's a funny joke down here. The cops will pull you over if you drive in a straight line, because if you're sober, <laughs> you're avoiding the bottles. <laughs> and so you need to take a deep breath. I mean, there might not be the conveniences yeah. you have back home, but then again, there's some beauty that is here that you would not experience. And so you're mentioning poverty. Let me put it this way. When I've been in certain areas of the rainforest or even in Nicaragua, Guatemala and, and parts of Central America, Sure, I've, I've seen people that have lived in a very humble way, but I've seen exceptionally clean children and washed clothes and always their porches are as shiny and nice as possible. Full bellies, warm beds, kids going to school on time and family units that are combined. Do you want to be a three-time divorced millionaire? or be someone that might be second or third world, but has the most loving husband and wife and, and children and God-fearing and extended families. I've never seen such large barbecues in my entire life. And so they don't need a Rolex to be happy. They have hugs and love. And I'm sure a millionaire would trade 10 of them to have that sort of relationship. And so it, it opened my eyes that finances and, and money and material can be replaced with things that are free, which is spirituality, respect for the animals and the environment. And even if they do have a, a, a nice log cabin or a simple home, it could be a cozy home and a nice home next to a river. And it's just the kind of things that I, I've seen people smiling and not mm -hmm. frowning. And so you expect them to be in a certain state of mind, but no. That's why I was mentioning there's certain literacy rates that we have here in Costa Rica. It's 95% literacy rate. And so they put their money and their ideas into education. And so for me, I, I think it's wonderful. In fact, when I met my wife, one of the greatest things she ever did, Ryan, is on one of our first dates was when we were walking in the rainforest in the gardens. This young lady knew every plant and every flower and there were certain things that were edible off the trees. And she's just explaining to me. It was like, it was a beautiful National Geographic episode. And so I was swept. I thought that was probably one of the coolest things because I'm talking Pac-Man in excess and ice hockey. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's talking about the most gorgeous environment that we were in. And it really put me in place. And so I had to change that day. And I realized it was time for me to begin again. Well, and it looks like you've been successful at that beginning again, that pivotal moment in your life, um, which leads me to one of the other questions I always ask people on my show. There seems to sure. be a, a, a personal cost to entrepreneurship. 
there always seems because you you had said, uh, what do you want to be a three time divorce millionaire, divorce millionaire, but or do you want to have a happy family? With entrepreneurship, sometimes it almost feels like you got to pick one. Like you can be, you, you can marry your dream and your vision, or you can have a family. So, what sort of personal struggles and, and personal cost has just being an entrepreneur? Uh, resonated with you and and what have you done to overcome those you feel like you're missing out on certain things and there are other events i just i couldn't go to because of ethical or professional responsibility it's those are tough conversations you need to have for yourself but listen ryan at the end of the day i mean as much as you want to compare the two sort of lives having finances and security and savings that can eliminate problems it can also assist you in health and comforts and so i I didn't want to be a starving artist but then again i I didn't want to isolate myself and just dedicate my entire life to a widget i i think there's a healthy balance the fact that i work with my wife and built the business gave us a chance to work together different floors different departments (laughs) that's just how it has to be but that's not Mm -hmm. the point the point is we built something together besides a marriage and a life, but um, paying it forward is nice. Sometimes you can get satisfaction out of seeing other people grow and getting promoted. It's not just a selfish thing. And one day your, your golden jewels will lose their luster and there's only so many meals you can eat. And what sort of additional satisfaction are you looking for? And so if you have that sort of finances, you might be able to have the mediums to do that. And so it's such a nice balance where you don't want to overextend in one area. But I, I needed that sort of challenge. And fortunately for me, it's very lucrative because I didn't want to put in a lot of work to make minimum wage either because that would hurt you mentally. But listen, there's a calling that these entrepreneurs have. It's a sixth sense. It's a tingle. It's a butterfly. And there are things that draw you to it, like wind and water currents, even gravity. And so for me as a little boy, looking back at it, obviously, this was part of my adventure learning Spanish to get me here. And so you you, you can't really hold somebody back from their destinies, especially if it's good faith, if they can feed families, if they can assist others along the way. You're, You're supposed to be part of that top percentage not saying you're better or worse than anybody your employee could be just as valuable as the owner because they're the ones that keeping the ship going look at scotty on the enterprise you needed that guy (laughs) so i mean um, if you didn't have that guy you ain't coming home yeah no it's right bust right seat you always need your perfect sidekick you always need someone you're confident you you need circles and it, that's the most it's, important thing. It, it's kind of how they launch satellites a lot of times is they catch that orbit of that planet and they pair together. And then when it's time, they shoot it off and then you catch another orbit and they shoot it off. I've noticed in times in my travels and journeys, when I'm flying alone, I do okay. It's not, it's not, it, it's not, uh, it's not detrimental. I wouldn't say that. But when you, you're, you're right, when you find that right partner, that right mentor, that right yin to your yang, you, you seem to find that bigger growth. You can cultivate it. 
there are people that are three quarters of the way there or just never had the right mentor. And so it's really just about unlocking. And so people don't feel reserved and they can contribute. And so as long as you can give them a certain environment where they feel comfortable enough to make themselves vulnerable, then you may get the best out of people, Ryan. Absolutely. I w- when I was researching, I also noticed, um, and I wrote it down here, um, that you have in your office building one of the largest collections of American pinball machines Oh yeah, that you allow for your employees. And you had a word for it, and I lost it here. Uh, Gamepreneur? What, what was that word? Gamification. Gamification, that was it. You want to tell us a little more about that? Because the company that I work for, Titan Digital, uh, we in our main office, we get a keg and we got sodas and we got games and puzzles okay. and, 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 and all that. So when you take your lunch break, you're checking out when you're when you're um, when, when you move away from your desk, you move away from work and have that. So and, and you mentioned recess. So uh, tell, tell us. Uh, one, how you got so many pinball machines. That interests me. And and why is it important to have it there in your business? I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and everybody wanted Ricky Schroeder's Silver Spoons game room. you got to be kidding me. Five dollars <laughs> at the last year, whole true. Saturday. Games were expensive, <laughs> especially pinball, if you didn't have the skills. Mm-hmm. So I look at it like this. I got a business. All of a sudden, it became very successful. I was expected to go out and purchase certain things, but just like Tom Hanks in the movie Big, I bought trampolines and video games. And so (laughs) one man's trash is another man's treasure. And here in Costa Rica, they have such incredible goodies all over the country. And so I know the value. And so I can find a machine for, let's say, three, four hundred dollars, get the parts in the United States from certain specialty stores, had the perfect electricians that I know from the arcades down here, moonlight and come to my house and fix it up. So for a last action hero, mid nineties, Arnold Schwarzenegger machine, I bought for three fifty. put another 200 bucks in it. She's worth close to $5,000. She's not mint because some dude owned her before <laughs> me and it was in a garage. Right. And so, but I tell you, my friend, the artwork, the marquees, the playfield, especially the ones before the laminates where they painted the wood and you could see the cracks. So each one has its own unique moves. These machines are gorgeous and I fall in love with them. And it's very difficult for me to hold back my emotion. And it's usually me being disappointed on how they were treated. And so <laughs> I collect and I find, and I'm easily the first one there with a trailer two of my assistants and a wad full of cash, ready to go. And so every day I'm looking for these things. And why do I collect it? A, I have the space. B, it's my passion. You know, it's funny. A happy marriage is when you can make things work. And this is the one hill I'm willing to die on. And she knows it. So my wife realizes (laughs) that these machines bring me such pleasure. So I get to be a kid. I got a game room at home and I got plenty of space here. And so... I don't allow the agents to play. I encourage them because none of them have played real pinball before. It's virtual pinball. But Ryan, there are so many things that are better alive than doing it on the Internet. And we can mention three right now. But the most important thing is that they're experiencing something new. It's a medium to meet other people, hang out with me, hand-eye coordination so they don't ice a kicker. 
they can stay hot and warm, you know, during break before they jump back on the phone. <laughs> right. Again. And it's just through play, I've been doing the best coaching. And through these machines, people have given me the best feedback. It's eliminated spirals out of control and people that are losing their cool that day. And plus, I'm the coolest boss in town. You walk through my game room, <laughs> it shows my potential clients that they don't have one, how I treat my people, and especially how I treat myself. But I love it. And I got the room for it. And I'm going to continue collecting. My oldest machine is a Bally's 1976 Freedom. I mean, it's just each one has its thing. So I encourage your audience, if they are capable of purchasing a pinball machine, especially one of the older ones with the wheels, please do and take very good care of them. Everyone's going to want to play them. And so um, it's separated for me because people do see that I don't bite, that I really am a person that likes balance of work and play. Uh, and and you, you talk about how you treat your employees, which I think is always has been important. But as we move mm -hmm. forward, it seems like culturally it's becoming more and more important. And I think it should. It, it absolutely should be that. Sure. And it's a weird segue because I wanted to ask you, because you were in the telemarketing business, right? So sometimes that business is not looked on as great. I, I think any sitcom that you watch, any any movie you watch, it's going to be a butt of a joke. It's going to be, it, it, it's going to be not shown in a good light. Listen, so, they like used car salesmen better than telemarketers. Right. <laughs> true, true. Right. I'm glad I didn't offend you with the question. I, I think you're oh, a realistic please. guy. That I can ripple this, myself right. all day long on that. <laughs> yes, keep going. Right. So, so I think it's a really good thing. One, an observation. I think it's a really good thing that you, you allow some blow off steam because I'm sure not every conversation with your employees goes pleasant. So I, I, I can understand having to let them blow off some steam. Um, but how do you, how do you, how do I want to phrase this question? How do you have that business and deal with that criticism of your industry as an overall and a whole? I think that would be a really interesting thing to hear. Well, I love the fact that Hollywood glamorizes the Wolf of Wall Street, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, Boiler Room, Cold Call, Closing Like Blake, ABC. I love it. But let me put it this way. One of the greatest things a company can do is retain a client, get an upsell, and get a referral, and have a relationship with a client where they give you an exit interview to let you know what you're doing right or wrong. And so a lot of companies, such as a law firm or a hospital, your local library, people take calls. It just doesn't mean that they're on there pitching stock. I mean, don't, don't you have a certain company that you call to assist you where you have an account? You may know the account manager and they know your, your business and, and they work with you. And it's, it's a nice thing. So a lot of people with these sort of skill sets can make a very, very good living working at Amazon, for an example, and HP, Intel, and Oracle, they're here. And so these are important things. But I tell you what, a lot of it has to do with ethics. We do not do sports, books, casinos, stocks, pharmacies, or sweepstakes. And so really, it's like a Chuck E. Cheese birthday party. If nobody shows up, you have no friends. People decide to work at these accounts that compromise ethics and steal, lie, 
The accounts that we do here are not even close to that. It's a very strict Catholic country. I have to make sure these agents can go home and tell their parents what they do for a living. So I work with companies that deal with movies and music, travel, transportation, work with a few law firms and industrial real estate. I do a lot of different things here. It's the thing where the agent feels comfortable doing it. Now, in regards to the people that are here, we can be highly selective because there's an exceptionally large labor pool. I know who's a jumper or who's a mercenary or who's not gonna last long. That's why when they fill out their resume, Ryan, and they give me all of their bells and whistles and tell me about how they're, they're gonna be the most loyal, punctual, I expect them to turn their paper over and please write me a couple paragraphs of a coming of age moment so I can gauge your English grammar and vocabulary, but do you have depth? Why am I doing this? A, so I can give you a cool nickname, figure out what to pump you up on on a rainy Wednesday. But what happens if you're on the phone with your largest client ever, Ryan, and he gets off script and asks you a Richard question. Are you capable of actually anchoring and bonding with this man? Can you, can you talk about life? Or do you just have to ask question number nine and start hedging? So I, I don't like things like that. I, I want people to be more in the now. And there's other soft skills that we do that can enhance our art of speech to make sure that we confirm things and that we are able to get somebody on the same page. But it's a beautiful way to earn a living if somebody practices it. And if they expand their vocabulary and do active listening and forget the call center. These are the sort of skills that can save a marriage at Thanksgiving dinner and relationships. This is pure diplomacy and it's sight unseen. So imagine when you have your five senses and you're in front of somebody, then you're superpowered. With us, what we try to do is expand on your listening and also use more descriptive vocabulary, more adjectives, so you can paint a visual picture with the clients on the phone so it's more captivating. You, keep their attention because the attention span is so small. And so by jumping clouds and keeping them into conversations, I've had agents do some of the most amazing things before and not only make the company's money, save them money and get tons of positive escalations where they want to speak to a supervisor and they'll go, hey, Ryan was the greatest on the phone. I go, I know Mr. Jones, he's the best. And then when I hang out with Mr. Jones, you're getting a pizza party and acclimates with the entire floor. And so that sort of synergy is cool. It's unless you've been in it, my man, unless you've walked the roads and sat in the cubicles and had your best day next to mine, you may not understand why some people still believe that call centers and <laughs> telemarketing is a means to an end. Uh, th that's a very good description. Uh, I, I enjoy how passionate you are about things. And, and I can tell by just, I know, um, uh, what's that Bukowski quote? It's, uh, I don't have any time if it ha doesn't have passion, it doesn't have soul, something like that. Um, but, uh, it, so we're running, we're about on our time. I've really enjoyed mm. talking to you. So a couple last follow-up things here. Um, what's next, sure. what's next for Richard Blank and the call center and Costa Rican call center. Uh, what's next? in your life or stratosphere or whatever we want to do. To promote as, promote as many people as possible internally so I can take some more time off. I'm going to start writing some children's books, traveling the world, just having some fun. Come visit you, you know? 
Hey, if you come visit me, I live in uh, Missouri and I live by Springfield, Missouri. There is a place called 1984, which is it's downtown Springfield, Missouri. It is three or four floors of retro pinball and arcade games. You pay $20 to get in. (laughs) They do. They do. You pay $20 to get in and you can play all day or as much as you want. And, and it, oh, it totally encapsulates from the seventies to there. So, yes. Oh, I love it. And, and let me ask you a question. Are these yes, refurb machines, are they original cabinets with the motherboards and the marquees and all the artwork, original machines? So I know the cabinets are, of course, I've never taken one apart. Um, and I'm not an expert, so I probably couldn't tell, but I do know that the cabinets are original. Uh, the marquees are original, uh, or at least whoever's designing them are are crazy good if they're doing it. Um, but well, no, example, they are, they are all. That's, yes, it's a vector machine, right? And then you yes. have the volcano start buttons. I mean, just yes. to be able to look at the marquees, the artwork, and everything, you're you're seeing a Mona Lisa. And so, as I'm oh, saying, if you have the chance to actually play on a real Berserk or a Tron or a Robotron machine, or I can name them all. What a treat. <laughs> oh, and hopefully I have one of my better games. If not, I'd be embarrassed because I've been practicing so much on main. <laughs> then you actually get to play the machine itself. It's, um, yes. yeah. it's an experience, but especially the pinball, my friend. And those older machines where it had more open play fields. I mean, today they're beautiful, but they really reduce a lot of the play field. And so, um, oh, yeah, we're there, my main man. My treat. (laughs) We're definitely there. Fair enough. Uh, And and I guess, is there anything that uh, you want to, what's the one piece of advice you would give somebody that is an entrepreneur and struggling at the moment? What is the, the piece of advice that you would give them? That's why you have the best podcast, Ryan. I think it's that people should not be hard on themselves. You're doing what you need to do. Let me give you a great example. There are certain stages of life. You might be five years old and taking the candy from the store. I'm 50 years old now. I would love to go back to that store, put $5 on the counter and tell the owner, we're good and walk out. Listen, these are stages of life. You're doing what you have to do. And if you can't handle this stage in your entrepreneur journey, how are you going to handle that half a million dollar contract or that one client that is loyal but demanding? Or what happens if your health gets affected? So these are sort of checkpoint tests in the earlier stages to see if you are able to carry the weight or as um, they said in The Color of Money to Fast Eddie, should he shed some weight? And that's the most important thing. What are you carrying and what are you shedding? And so you have to depend on what you want to bring with you. Forrest Whitaker, just remembered his name. What an amazing scene <laughs> when Fast Eddie got hustled. And then at the end he goes, hey, yes. Eddie, should I, should I lose some weight? And I had to research that because I didn't realize that in a, in a gambling or, or pool or, or sports term, it's, it's really about leverage and hedging and betting and advantages, and some weight will kill you and drown you, and others you need to leave behind because you're not going to use it anymore. And so my good friend, these are the sort of things that people need to decide on them on their own 
what they need to bring with them. And um, that would be my best advice for you and your amazing audience today. Well, uh, Richard, it has been my absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, I hope we can it do it fun. again. You know, I'm, I'm planning on doing more of these and we're going to be going for a long time. So I'd love to have you back. Um, and if anybody needs to get a hold of you or wants to reach out, how do they make contact with you, sir? Oh, man, they need to buy a first class plane ticket and fly down here and come visit me. <laughs> but uh, if they're not doing that today or they're enjoying their summer, they can go to my Facebook fan page, Costa Rica's Call Center. We have 117,000 local Costa Ricans there. And when this goes live, Ryan, I can't wait to share your podcast and introduce you to a bunch of new fans. And it'll give your audience a chance to understand the BPO, business process outsourcing industry in Central America and how Costa Rica is an amazing place. And I've really enjoyed my life with it. Well, once again, Richard, thank you so much for being on Small Business Chronicles. I'm Ryan Shear, and until next episode, uh, you guys have a good day.